The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This trust has been, if anything, certainly as bad as Johnson on the populism agenda. She wants people to work hard and she hates people being told what to do. The markets are looking very, very closely at political pronouncements. Together, we can ride out the storm. We can rebuild our economy and we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Tom McKenzie. Coming up, call it a fiscal event, a mini budget or a tax cut bonanza. It is the main event for Quasi Quadang tomorrow. But there are warnings that the measures could set the public finances on an unsustainable path. We will speak to the Institute of Fiscal Studies. Plus, does the £40 billion package to limit energy costs for businesses go far enough? We'll hear from the UK hospitality CEO, Kate Nichols. Liz Truss is back in the UK today as Parliament resumes business. That's after her first international outing as Prime Minister at the United Nations General Assembly. So, Stephen, how did it go for the UK Prime Minister on the most global of stages? Well, it was from one point her chance to talk about how the UK's position is going to continue supporting Ukraine, as of course much of the focus since that announcement of the partial mobilisation by Vladimir Putin yesterday really put the focus squarely back on that. But there were also the sideline meetings as well. First of all, in Liz Truss's speech, she did talk about um, the catastrophic failure of Russia's invasion of its neighbour, pointing to the union that had been seen from allies and saying that they will not rest until the UK or until Ukraine prevails in this. Uh, this, of course, her first trip abroad since taking office. And she's noting that UK weapons were arriving in Ukraine as she was speaking. So pledging uh, more support for NATO, saying that the G7 and like-minded partners should act as an economic NATO, collectively defending their prosperity as well. Also worth pointing out that in those other meetings that happened in New York, Liz Truss did meet the French President Emmanuel Macron, mm. who she famously said she couldn't decide whether he was friend or foe. And certainly Emmanuel Macron's statement afterwards to reporters uh, did seem to say, show some positive turn in those relationships as yeah, well. I have to wonder if she's finally made up her mind on that uh, question about the, the UK and France and her allyship or not with the, with the French president. Also meeting with Joe Biden. Yeah, that's right. And of course, that's another important engagement for the Prime Minister. That was a meeting that was scheduled to take place in London, of course, uh, had to be pushed back to the UN. So that's the other part of the international relations issues. But Tom, it's back to domestic issues for Liz Truss today as she comes back to Parliament. We're going to have this announcement from Therese Coffey, the Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary, about how they're going to tackle particularly waiting list issues within the NHS, much more domestic politics. But this is the resumption of business that we're seeing from the, the new government this week after we had of course the suspension essentially of politics during the period of national mourning. So the focus in this policy is going to be a lot around GPs, support for GPs and how exactly the government plans to reduce the waiting times that have been part of the stress on the NHS. Of course this is outside of the economics, the only other priority we heard Liz Truss highlight when she got the job as Prime Minister and spoke outside in that first speech outside Downing Street so we know it's going to be an important one. Well from from international affairs to to healthcare to economics and back to economics 
economics again. Uh, we are focusing, of course, and looking ahead to that mini budget tomorrow with the Prime Minister promising a raft of tax cuts. But a report by the Institute of Fiscal Studies says the Chancellor is set to put the UK's public finances on an unsustainable path. We've been speaking to the author, Carl Emerson, Deputy Director of the IFS. Well, the, the cost of the energy price guarantee is particularly uncertain and it's going to be very, very big, but it's also going to be um, hopefully short lived. It's expected to last for two years. So what really matters is the policy settings beyond that. And our forecasts imply that even once that energy price guarantee has expired, a combination of high inflation, pushing up public spending on welfare benefits, on state pensions and on debt interest, and also the some of the tax cuts that the new Prime Minister Liz Truss committed to when she was seeking uh, to get that job, uh, in particular reversing the rise in national insurance contributions that happened earlier this year and cancelling the very big increase in the rate of corporation tax that's planned for next April. We think that'll cost about £30 billion a year and in total push the deficit up from about uh, 30 £35 billion to around £100 billion a year in the medium term. So a very big increase in borrowing and about half of that increase being explained by the choice to cut taxes. Uh, Carl, we know there's some controversy over the government's uh, lack of desire to have to have some of this scrutinised. But presumably the government would push back and say, look, cutting taxes, cutting corporation taxes, putting more money in the pockets of consumers, that is going to result in more tax income in the longer term. And that will offset some of this pressure. Well, on the producing numbers, I mean, a lot has changed since the last set of official numbers in March. They were prepared before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. We've had big policy announcements since. And we know that the independent forecaster in the UK, the Office for Budget Responsibility, has forecasts ready. So all the Chancellor needed to do was to give them the go ahead to publish. And I think it's a real shame um, that he hasn't felt confident enough to to do that. Now, going forward, those tax cuts will certainly support the economy in coming months and they'll add demand to the economy but that will be a transitory effect what really matters is whether there's going to be a boost to supply um, and there's no evidence that the kind of tax cuts we're talking about on their own will deliver anything like the increase in growth that would be needed to allow the kind of tax cuts the kind of fiscal plans we're seeing to be sustainable now it might be that the government will get lucky and growth will turn out to be much much higher than we expect that is possible it might be that we do see a real concerted effort right across a range of policy areas and those pol those interventions are very very successful and we get higher growth um, by design so it could be that the plans turn out to be sustainable we can't simply assume that that's going to be the case what about the spending side of all of this? Surely this, this sort of scale of spending is necessary given the crisis. I think the support for households and businesses in this winter in particular is certainly necessary. And given the uh, need to act very, very swiftly, I think going very, very big with packages that aren't very well targeted can well be justified. I think it's a bit of a shame in the UK that the government hasn't felt able to say, look, We'll freeze prices for households this winter and then we'll review the situation next spring, next summer, and we'll try and come up with a more targeted scheme for the following winter. I think it's rather disappointing that this rather crude scheme is set to be in place, not just for one winter, but for two winters. But I certainly agree that there's a case for big temporary support um, through the current crisis. I think what's less clear is whether permanent tax cuts can really be afforded at this point. Well, that brings me on to my next question, Carl, which is whether or not and to what extent you're concerned that we that our reliance on, on, on as Mark Carney once said, that the kindness of strangers is, is going to come to 
to, to something of a halt. We look at gilt yields of around uh, what 3.3% on on the on the 10 and on the 10 year. That's relatively we can we can we can suck that up for a while. But yields keep grinding higher uh, in in this higher rate environment. Is there a concern uh, that foreign investors uh, will start to turn away from from the UK uh, bond markets? Well, it's certainly important to remember that gilt rates still remain low by historical standards. And although our forecasts imply that we'll be spending a lot more on debt interest over the next few years than we might have thought back in March, the amount we're going to be spending still looks pretty low. Um, But it is becoming more risky. We have seen gilt yields rise in recent weeks. We have seen downwards pressure on the pound, um, given the government's fiscal plans and also the current account deficit that we're worrying, so that we're running. So I think there's certainly a, a risk here, um, and that risk is more substantial when there's more debt. So if interest rates rise by um, one percentage point more than expected, that will add about £10 billion a year very quickly to the government's debt interest bill. So the sums at stake here are pretty substantial. In the meantime, of course, inflation also adding to the cost of of how much the government is going to have to spend on servicing the debt too. Uh, What about the inflationary impact on things like demands for public sector salary increases? Well, in our forecast, we've taken account of the higher debt interest spending. We've taken account of the fact that higher inflation automatically feeds into uh, bigger uplifts on state pensions and on most working age benefits. What we haven't done is adjusted those public service spending plans. We've assumed that in cash terms, they will be exactly the same as what was agreed last autumn before inflation took off. Those plans are clearly now much, much more challenging than was intended at the time. Public sector pay awards um, are coming in higher than what was expected when those plans were set, although, of course, public sector workers are being asked to accept pay awards that are less than what their private sector equivalents are getting. So the spending settlements do look very much more challenging, and there has to be a risk to our forecast that actually the government will end up topping up those spending plans to restore some of the generosity, and that would imply even more borrowing. How much, Carl, how much relief can we take from the strength of the, the employment market still here in the UK uh, and, and the number, the sheer number of, of vacancies and jobs that remain unfulfilled? To what extent is that going to prove a support for an economy that is clearly challenged? Well, for many households, of course, the strong numbers of you know, the very low numbers of people who are unemployed, um, the the fact that we haven't seen unemployment uh, increase substantially is, has been a great help. Um, There is a bit of a concern that part of that has come about, at least through more people who are not in work and also not seeking work. Um, So more younger people in education, but also in particular, more older workers choosing to leave the labour market earlier than they would have done. Um, Now, that's potentially adding to some of the supply constraints we're seeing in the economy and adding to some of the inflation. So the inflation isn't all about what's going on in Ukraine. Some of it is about these uh, supply constraints that we're seeing in the UK and also elsewhere. Just bringing you back to the point about growth, which is, of course, what the government's argument is, is how they're going to pay for all this. What scale of growth would be needed to make this sustainable in terms of public finances? Well, on our central forecast, we have debt continuing to increase as a share of national income, even once that energy price guarantee um, has expired. Stronger growth would clearly help. We think that about 0.7% a year more growth in the economy would be enough just about to stabilise debt. So it wouldn't lead to debt falling, but it would stabilise it. Now, that's a big increase. It's uh, it's the same as the difference between the 
stronger growth that the UK enjoyed between 1983 and 2008, that 25 year period just before the financial crisis hit, and the much weaker period of growth we saw in the 2010. So it's the same as that difference in growth between those two periods. Now, that means that it's not impossible that we'll be able to get that kind of bounce back. Um, but as I said earlier, that that bounce back will either come because we either because we get very, very lucky or because there's a real concerted effort by government across a range of policy areas, not just cutting a couple of tax rates. You've got to look at tax design. You've got to look at regulation, competition policy, planning policy, trade mm. policy. It's going to re- education policy. It's going to require efforts across the piece and for those efforts to be very, very successful. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, tomorrow's mini-budget will be trying to address the economic crisis facing the UK, but also fulfil some of Liz Truss's campaign promises to cut taxes. The city will be listening out for details of what the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng has called the Big Bang 2 in terms of deregulation. We've been looking ahead to the challenges and expectations for this package with Bloomberg Executive Editor David Merritt, who's also host of Bloomberg's In the City podcast, and Bloomberg Opinion Columnist Marcus Ashworth. Well, it is a big couple of days. Everything's been on hold, obviously, over the period of official mourning. We had the Queen's funeral on on Monday, and things get real now this week. You know, the economic crisis that we're in, the energy crisis, we've had a new government only in place for a couple of weeks, and now they've got to tell us what they're going to do about it. And it's been a lot of this has been trailed in advance, um, but, I mean, the numbers are eye-watering. The sort of money that uh, we're expecting to hear the Chancellor is going to spend this week on uh, bailing out households, bailing out um, uh, businesses for the high energy bills, cutting taxes at the same time as well. Um, A huge fiscal stimulus. And then, yes, today we're expecting the seventh consecutive rate hike from the Bank of England. You know, most people expecting a half basis point. It could be as much as 75. That would be the biggest for decades. And really an admission that inflation has run out of control. We're going to get, crucially as well, this very British um, uh, ritual of an exchange of letters between the governor and the chancellor so writing a strongly worded letter to each other and that may it may not tell us anything or it may really give us a hint as to how much more tightening we can expect for the bank how far are they willing to go and also from the chancellor's side the new chancellor quasi quateng is he going to hint about perhaps shifting that mandate of the bank of england or changing the goalpost somehow in order to um, help them to bring inflation under control 
we had the Institute of Fiscal Studies speaking to us earlier in the programme, their Deputy Director, Carl Emerson, talking about the, the lack of the OBR forecast being released with this mini budget tomorrow. Is that a concern of how, you know, not perhaps getting the, the, the granular detail behind these spending promises? Yes. And, you know, let's remember when the why and when the OBR was set up, right? You know, to, the, the, the Office for Budget Responsibility was supposed to prevent governments overspending um, and... Um, uh, and splurging the cash for political ends, and 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 in this case, they are avoiding having their homework marked by it. So there are questions raised about that. But given the scale of the spending here, and and I guess the scale of the problems we face, I mean, some people are asking whether or not the OBR is something we need and require anymore, um, g- considering the, the 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 economic circumstances we're in. Um, you know, considering is there is no budgetary responsibility, there argument. is no, well, I mean, you know maybe the responsible they, they would probably argue being responsible in this case is avoiding some sort of economic mm. collapse and people choosing between eating and heating yeah, over yeah. over the winter. So yes, if you can sort of sidestep the regulator and say we don't need to actually tomorrow to score our card this time but we will later in the year then maybe any of that analysis becomes a bit irrelevant. I, I, David I just have flashbacks to, to Cameron Nosborn and Days of mm. Austerity and what a marked shift in right. a relatively short space of time historically do the politics line up behind yeah, the Trish I mean, government? You know, two elections were won by the Conservatives on this mantra that there is no magic money tree, remember that phrase and that Britain uh, needed to um, balance the books otherwise future generations you know we, we heard all that we were all in it together weren't we do you remember that george osborne austerity that one david cameron um his years in downing street and then the the, the complete 180 from the same party remember this is the same party um um that was the response to the financial crisis in 2008 and the aftermath. This is in response to the COVID aftermath and now the energy crisis sparked by the war in Ukraine. But it is a complete 180, isn't it, in approach? Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have to see how it pans out. Marcus, if, if you were in charge of uh, the Treasury going into tomorrow's uh, mini budget, where do you think the most effective use can be made of fiscal stimulus at this stage? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I, I think the, the approach that clearly uh, Quasi Cartel is doing, and I don't think it's the Treasury necessarily would, would be on board with, the, with all of it, is he, he's going to go at a whole raft of different things all at the same time to create an overall wave of uh, perhaps confidence is the best way of putting it, but certainly to create a pro-growth uh, momentum uh, and to try and uh, perhaps reverse some of this sort of uh, negativity which is pervasive across uh, our society at the moment and, and perhaps uh, give a, a bit of a fill up to, towards the end of the year and, and equally at the same point. Some of these uh, numbers that are coming out of the costing of it are, 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 you know, we just don't know whether they're going to be anything like that. It does depend on the gas prices of a bunch of moving uh, parts as Dave has outlined. But, you know, I think there is uh, some point to, to um, what they're trying to do, which is to um, essentially give back control to the individual consumer. Um, they're trying to shore up business. They're trying to give confidence back to the city that, that they are an important part of, of uh, you know, tax raising, let alone the, the overall economy. So it's, um, you know, it's going to be quite a lot of heavy lifting. And I think there's going to be some misses here. But if there are sufficient amount of hits or uh, whacking up against the wall. Maybe the wall will fall down a bit. Um, but uh, we shall see. It's certainly a, a very bold move. Um, and it really is essentially unwinding everything that Rishi Sunak did. Uh, post furlough, which we, he was very generous then, decided he had to pay for it all of a sudden. The OBR has been an impediment. Uh, uh, it was created by George Osborne, 
by the Treasury to prevent spending from other departments. Uh, it was a means to an end for the Treasury to gain, gain a lot of control. And this government clearly wants to unwind a lot of that control. And whether the OBR is, OBR is fit for purpose is, is interesting here. I don't think it has been. Or their forecasts have been less than useless, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and, and at the same point, I think they may well extend the, the range from the three-year uh, budget forecast out to five um, if they feel this is not the right time to uh, uh, perhaps be accused of, of willful spending. But these things are, are there to help. And at the moment, they are possibly hindering. So we shall see. That was Bloomberg's David Merritt and Marcus Ashworth. Now, the government unveiled a multi-billion pound plan to help companies with their energy bills this winter. It's estimated to cost £40 billion and it'll cap the wholesale energy prices that feed into gas and power contracts for businesses for six months. All businesses, regardless of size, will be eligible for the subsidy. That may cover some of the nation's biggest companies, such as gas producers and banks, alongside pubs, cafes and small retailers. We've been discussing the announcement with CEO of UK Hospitality, Kate Nichols. We were seeing bills coming in and recontracts coming in as high as seven, eight, uh, up to 12 times the amount that were previously contracted, which was simply unsustainable. So this is a big, bold intervention. It it provides really meaningful help and crucially it gives businesses six months planning time so they can have some certainty about what their bills are going to be as to whether it's enough um, it's 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 helpful but it does mean that businesses are still exposed to higher bills and have been exposed to higher bills for some time they will also kick back in in april when this uh, subsidy ends so i think what we do need to do is to work to make sure that we've got more support as was flagged by the government the prime minister very clearly said that they would look at more targeted and deeper support for vulnerable sectors like hospitality we now need to work out what that is what it looks like when it takes effect so that we can have not just this six months intervention on energy but a longer pathway towards recovery and sustainability this is still going to mean high prices though for your members how are they coping with the inflationary pressures from from energy and other places as well well, I, I think that is the big challenge. You know, yes, this is going to keep bills lower than they would have otherwise been, but people are still going to face quite significant increases. Um, and also those increases will have been born for the first nine months of this year where we've had substantial cost increases coming through. Hospitality is particularly vulnerable. It was closed for the best part of two years due to COVID. So cash reserves are very low. Profit margins haven't been restored. Half of hospitality businesses are not back to breaking even at the moment. And they're at the eye of a very toxic storm significant cost pressures coming through the business energy is just one but there's also food price inflation wage rate inflation so on average it's coming in at about 20 percent uh, which is significantly higher than other parts of the economy and of course at the other end you've got uh, consumer downturn with cost of living squeeze mortgage rate increases that we're seeing coming through meaning discretionary spend is coming down so at both the top line and the bottom line, we're seeing impact, real impact on, on the businesses. And it's mm. the viability of those businesses that is at risk. So that's why we think the government needs to do more to help with that cost, both the cost that's been borne, the cost that's yet to come. And we think that targeted VAT cuts and business rates relief would both reduce the cost of living and reduce the cost of doing business. And we need action in all three areas to make sure that hospitality businesses can get through what will be a very tough winter. 
Okay, so so adding to to the additional measures or the measures that have been outlined already, VAT and, and business rates, uh, lowering those would, would clearly help your your sector. You've outlined the headwinds there. If you don't get that kind of additional support, or even if you do, what is the likelihood that a number, a significant number of these businesses within your sector are going to be forced into bankruptcy or closure in, in the months ahead? Well, we are already seeing significant uptick in the number of insolvencies over the first uh, three quarters of this year in the hospitality sector. We know that without additional support, uh, a number of our businesses are fearing that they, they may become unviable. We did a recent survey. One in three businesses not sure that they're going to make it through the winter without additional support. Now, that energy package does give some benefits to be able to, to help sustain that. But the, the if we don't get the additional measures, I think the risk is that you'll see uh, further 10% of business failures in hospitality with a real knock-on impact on jobs and livelihoods across the supply chain and local communities. Kate, do you feel the government has the right priorities when it comes to business? You know, we're here them discussing the, you know, scrapping the cap on bankers' bonuses. Should they be focusing more on, on other, other areas to help business? I think that the, the direction of travel is right. Let's reduce the tax burden and the regulatory burden to free up economic growth, to, to stimulate economic growth. I would urge them to look at the cost of doing business. We're not going to get in a grip on the cost of living crisis unless we can deal with the cost of doing business. And at the moment, businesses are looking at survival and they're in survival mode rather than looking at longer term investments um, and, and paying corporation tax. And so, you know, corporation tax is a good way of signalling that you're open for business. But if businesses aren't making a profit, corporation tax is irrelevant to that. That's why we think the bigger focus for our sector needs to be on the matters like business rates, which are a significant drag on economic growth and recovery and a significant drag on investment. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.